Chapter 19 of Exodus marks a sharp break with what precedes it. The goal of the journey to e from Egypt has been reached. It's the third new moon since the people have fled through the Red Sea, three months. During that time, as we have heard in the last two weeks, God has sustained them, given them bread, quail, water, and protection from the Amalekites. Now they've arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. They've stopped and camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. The goal of the journey from Egypt has been reached. And what is that goal? God has brought them to himself. There's a beautiful description of the purpose of all this. God bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. And in the beginning of chapter 19, God announces to Moses the purpose of just this bringing of the people to himself. We hear this. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Moses speaks these words of God to the people, and before hearing any of the details, the people respond with one voice. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now this seems a bit like signing one's name to a contract or clicking the accept button before we read the fine print we've been instructed to read. But do a person, Israel signs on. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. The rabbinic literature on this verse focuses on the fact that 100% of the people signed on. If one person had not gone along, they would not have been worthy of receiving the Torah. Their acceptance to the person is only a first step. There's much more to come. And God instructs Moses to have his people consecrate themselves for two days to prepare for what will happen on the third. God, as it turns out, is not at the end of a remote. God tells them what to do. Wash your clothes, stay away from the sacred area around the mountain, and separate yourself from what is normally permitted and good. And finally, when the trumpet or shofar sounds a loud, long blast, go up the mountain. This catches us up to our reading for this morning, which is the second half of chapter 19 and the first half of 20. The second half of 19 contains what is called a theophany, a spectacular manifestation of God which humans can apprehend. And only after that does God speak the words we know as a Decalogue, the Ten Words or Ten Commandments. It's a contrast between the two I want to point out. The contrast helps us to receive the gift of the covenant God made with Israel 
which we have been grafted into through Jesus Christ, and perhaps helps us direct our eyes to the giver of that gift. The theophany is as spectacular as it is terrifying. On the third day, there is lightning and thunder, a thick cloud descends, the promised loud horn, then fire and smoke, and the whole mountain shakes. There is confusion, Moses running back up and down the mountain. Aaron gets involved. The people tremble and all are terrified. And given this display, how could their response be anything but? And then God speaks, not in thunder, but in words. After the smoke, fire, volcano, earthquake, confusion, thunder, lightning, and loud horn, God speaks ordinary words, quite prosaic, actually. Honor your mother and father. Don't steal. Keep the Sabbath. Don't have idols. Worship only me. Don't covet your neighbor's donkeys. Donkeys? We're talking about donkeys? After such a spectacular display of God as creator, God is now talking to us about our parents and our neighbor's donkeys. After parting the Red Sea, killing Pharaoh's army, bearing us on eagle's wings, raining down quail and manna, giving us water and protection, terrifying us on a mountain, all this to tell us not to covet our neighbor's donkeys? Really? Yes. For the covenant God makes with Israel is not time-bound, because God is not time-bound, and God cannot be unfaithful to himself. Though heaven and earth will pass away, the word of the Lord endures forever. Wycliffe's motto. But God has made a covenant with Israel, that is, with a people, persons, creatures who are time-bound, who are fundamentally different than God in this and every respect. In the law, in a sense, God accommodates himself to this difference, that is, to his creatures. In the law, God clothes his covenant in the stuff of our lives, just as Jesus in the fullness of time will clothe himself in our flesh and fulfill the law. In coming down to meet Moses on the mountain and give the law, God descends to a place he does not belong. Honor your mother and father, don't steal, keep the Sabbath, don't have idols, worship only me, don't covet your neighbor's donkeys or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So the theophany, covenant, and law together mark Israel's destiny in this world. God has set them apart and made them his holy possession in this world. And the Decalogue is the ordering of creaturely life toward the reality of what God has given them. And what God has given them, and what they signed on for to a person, is a life within a people, with God and neighbor, through generations. 
what God has given them, whether it is, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as Catherine said two weeks ago, or manna, water, and protection, as Glenn said last week, or today, a covenant and the law, it's all the same, really. The same in that what is given points back to the giver and the priority of God, who is beyond all these creaturely gifts as the theophany reveals. And all that God gives is given for a single reason, to draw his people back to himself, just as he has drawn them through the Red Sea and the three moons in the wilderness to himself. Here in the prosaic words of the Ten Commandments, God bears them not on eagles' wings, but on something more sturdy for their long passage through time. The theophany, law, and covenant belong together. The people's reaction to the theophany was terror, and how could it be anything else? But God asked for more than an emotional response. God asked for obedience. The Decalogue guards against internalizing and spiritualizing our relationship with God and comes with judgment. Because his covenant claims and defines creaturehood and demands full commitment on who we are and the purposes of life given. In a poem by the poet Philip Larkin, he asked this question, what are days for? Days are where we live, he writes. The Decalogue adds, days are where God lives with us. Days are where we learn that we are most fully human as we realize we are recipients of God's gift of days, of God's gift of light, and God's gift of the Decalogue for the ordering of that received life toward God and neighbor, the full extent of the gift. The rabbinic literature on this section also says that God offered this covenant to all the nations, but when they heard its content, all declined but Israel. I guess everybody but Israel actually read that fine print. And we know the shelf life of their unanimous assent. But God's covenant is not time-bound or people-bound, because God is neither. In the fullness of time, God draws his people back to himself, not only on eagle's wings and the law, but on the outstretched arms of his son. For the way God has given for Israel to live with him is to be our way as well. Amen.